for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And today we're here to discuss the fifth episode of the second season of NBC's This Is Us. This episode was called Brothers. As I watched this episode, I wondered what was so special about the brothers until the very last scene of the whole thing. You're exactly right. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves, though. Let's talk about our current day brothers and get started with that one. You mean Kevin and Randall. I do. So Kevin and Randall's stories were wrapped up together this week because Kevin was going to be auctioned off at a charity event that Sophie was planning. And he is a mess this week with this painkiller business. He basically spent the entire episode trying to get refills for painkillers. Did he ever find anybody? It ended with him calling yet another doctor like on the street. So I feel like it's just a mess. He was saying he was taking Vicodin. Now, I know a little bit about Vicodin, but I feel like he would be taking something stronger than that. Yeah, I don't know much about it either. I know that that's a pretty strong one, um, but I also know that it's super dangerous and super addictive and all that other kind of stuff. And we have been getting these illusions all, all season long that he may have received some of his father's uh, tendencies toward addiction. For sure. I feel like that this episode did a really crystal clear job of showing that Jack's personality, good traits and bad were passed on to his boys in very specific ways. And Kevin was really, really focused on his addiction and dealing with his needs. It really dictated everything that he did. And when we saw some flashbacks previous in other episodes, you know, we saw Jack obviously taking great lengths to be like pouring alcohol in his coffee mug at work. Very, this is what I'm focused on is like, how can I get this in my day throughout my day without Hmm. other people noticing much? Good point. So I felt like this was one of those things that, you know, it was really in your face. On the flip side, I felt like Randall was highlighted again with having all of Jack's good points about, you know, wanting to be there for Deja wanting to be supportive of her. But it was interesting this time they took it a little bit, like tweaked it a little bit more to where you saw those good traits turn a little bit weird. As we saw in Jack and the boys camping, Jack was dead set on doing this camping trip, no matter what happened. And some big stuff happened. And he still said, no, we're doing the camping trip. Randall kind of approached this gala in much the same way, even though Beth was saying, this is a terrible idea. And Kevin, of course, was offering (laughs) no valuable guidance at all. Randall was dead set on taking Deja to this event that she was really not quite up to. I think that it was a huge mistake to take her to that event because... I understand that she asked to go. So I get it that that would have been like a really tricky scenario. But I mean, we have a really strong rule in our home that we don't put our kids in positions where they are very likely to not be able to meet the expectations. And there are full grown women who would feel extremely intimidated about how to handle a high end gala. And so it's like, why would you put a kid who already showed she didn't understand even how to behave at a bowling alley? 
Why would you think that the best thing to do would be to put her in really a high social game kind of situation with all these people that she really cared about? Like she really was like obviously having some sort of crush on Kevin. Cool, fine, understandable. But then again, like I think that it was it was one of those things like giving into something that you think she wants and not protecting her at the same time against things like she doesn't even know she's going to come up against. He's in such a tough spot. I mean, he created this tough spot, but he wanted to be there too. So he's got this person who won't seem to listen to him or even hear him. And how would, I mean, if for some reason we were taking our kids to something like this, we would coach them up like crazy. You know what I mean? We would be coaching them while it was happening, too. Like that shrimp scene. Right. That's what I was getting at. We would immediately ask, have you tried shrimp before? Do you like shrimp? And the answer would be like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> right. Right. And so you'd say, oh, well, here's how you do it. I, you know, I break off the tail. Da, da. Like that. you would show them how you do it. If you are at an event and you don't even know how to eat the food, you've got major problems, you know? I mean- I'm, it, I'm telling you though, Pete, there's there are so many grown people who don't know how to behave at a high-end gala. And, it, and I don't mean that like in a behave, like in a, they're going to be, you know, disruptive. I mean, like they don't know the protocol. They, they, they can't follow, uh, you know, exactly what's being done and when. I feel like that the climax of that- entire event with Randall and Deja. Deja getting upset about the fact that he, I don't want to say lunged at her. That's too strong. He kind of made a motion towards her to grab her when she was about to eat the shrimp, head, shell, everything. And she runs up to the bathroom. I really felt like this was a big misstep for This Is Us because I just don't think it's remotely realistic. I can buy the aspect of Randall being relentless about needing to fix this and not giving up and only kind of like centering on a single path. I think your issue is that his path is impractical <laughs> and probably not realistic. I think a security guard would come in after him before any leisurely conversation would be had in the bathroom. This is one of those times when, you know, we've talked about this, we cover another show called The Orville, where you have to say like, you can't put aside the realities of society in order to make a plot point. You can't do that. Yeah. And you cannot be at a gala. I, we have been at plenty of formal events. Let me tell you, women flow in and out of the bathroom. They're like fixing their dresses. They're fixing their hair. They're fixing their makeup, flowing in and out, in and out, in and out. So uh, automatically, this was unrealistic that he would be the only person in there and she'd be the only person in there. Not going to happen. Number two, I appreciate that he would be relentless, but I think he needed to be far more resourceful. First you would do is find any woman you came with, anyone, right? Yeah. So you would ask Sophie or you'd ask Kevin, do you know anyone else here? Do you have a friend who could go in and just check on her? Not that they would get the full story, but just go check on her. Then you would resort to strangers, to women strangers and say, could you possibly go check in? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm here with a with a young girl and she she went into the bathroom and I don't want to be inappropriate and go in there. So just across the board, I'm telling you, never going to happen. This situation would never happen. And as much as we complimented the way that they handled the camera work from Deja's point of view in the previous episodes, this one was darn right creepy. They put it so that it was like the camera was inside the stall and we were looking at Randall's face talking to her through the slats of the stall. Gross. But 
she'd been in there a very long time, longer than bathroom time. Um, this is invasion of privacy to the hilt. What else could he have done? Honest to God. Stood on a toilet and like looked over the stall at her. Like, I mean, it's so inappropriate. It's so over the top. That is the first time that I took Randall's really good intentions and saw how Kevin might feel in terms of like, you are over the top guy and you are getting annoying to the point of being really out of line with the things that you're doing. And so I, I actually had like a little twinge of empathy for Kevin and growing up with him and how over the top Randall really is. He does push, but I mean, again, at the end of the day, he's ultimately responsible for her safety and her well-being while she is in his care. Yes, he should have found another way to do it, but he, I mean... I can't fault him exactly for everything that he did. I mean, he needed to check on her. Uh-huh. I totally agree on that. But I just think there's a million ways you would do that. And I think it was a missed opportunity because I know that the way that they timed it out, Sophie was actually like on stage speaking at that time, trying to do the Kevin auction, which is fine and understandable, but it didn't have to line up that way. I think that it would have made a lot of sense for Sophie to be the one to go in after Deja. And they could have kind of married those stories a little bit more where you had, you know, Sophie getting some information from Deja and maybe them having like a little bit of a connection. And again, Randall, it would have mirrored that other situation where Beth had come in and saved Randall. And so it would have been like, once again, Randall's on the outside but she had had this bad history with men and, you know, it made sense that might she might open up to another woman. You know, these kinds of things would have made a whole, whole lot of sense. Also, you and I have 14 year olds. We currently have three 14 year olds. There is no chance that our daughter would not have been screaming, get out of here at the top of her lungs. I mean, embarrassingly so. Like if we had chased her into a woman's bathroom, especially you, I can't imagine how much she would be like, you're not supposed to be in here. Get out. Get out. Well, I think it's all building to some more dramatic Kevin-related breakdown, actually, because it seems like all of the interactions between adult Kevin and adult Randall, it's like, you know, remember when they measure kids' milestones, they measure, like, do they play in parallel or do they play together? Yeah. Well, it seems like these two are constantly only parallel. Yeah, you're e right. Even though they do go to the same places together. I mean, we've gone to places with other people and come away and our stories, except for like what we ate and that kind of stuff, they would be the same freaking story. You know what I mean? But every time they go to something together, their stories are completely divergent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like at the Manny episode, he's trying to sort out with Beth the adoption. Meanwhile, Kevin's acting in the episode. And then in this episode, it's the same sort of thing. Kevin has his own issues going on and Randall <laughs> is trying to trying to sort out this this foster child situation. They go to the same things, but they are not together, you know? And so I'm wondering in the future, does this, I mean, pile on this a drug addiction business and Kevin not being able to really access anything deeper than like surface emotions, especially regarding his father. We've been complaining for the last few episodes about 
the lack of depth regarding Kevin. So I'm I'm kind of wondering, is this building to some kind of huge like Kevin meltdown at some point? I think it probably is. And and I think that we should talk a little bit about the camping story having to do with Jack and the boys, because I think that that part speaks to exactly what you're saying. We get basically a really similar setup with Randall being all in. You know, he's he's like, first, I think we should set up the tent and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, he's awesome. He's like such a great kid from a parent point of view, but from a sibling point of view. Oh, my God, that's so obnoxious. Why are you not back here being like, hey, did you bring Snickers? Because, you know, I brought fruit roll ups. Like, why are you like I laid out an itinerary like you are eight years old? Cool it, you know, (laughs) freaking cool it. Much more realistic about Kevin and the Game Boy. Oh, my God. Yeah. And just normal. Just normal. Some of the stuff that Kevin was doing was just normal. I mean, do I think that it was like fun and cool that he like, you know, put the the tent down on Randall? No, I think that was crummy. But at the same time, totally normal, typical. We've all been at Boy Scout events. And you've said, how many times have you been like, oh my gosh, like we do have the kid who is a lot more like Randall. He's a lot more conscientious. He's a lot more worried about following the rules. And guess what? There's all these kids who are going around throwing balls off of each other's heads. You know, even though you and I as parents are like, oh, you know, those kids are so hard to handle. They were far outnumbering the kids who were like, first, we're going to set up the tent, you know? Right. Exactly. So I definitely think that that was at least extremely realistic to how it was going. And I actually kind of felt like I saw Kevin for who he was in those moments, which was just a regular old kid, you know, but when you're put up against the saint, then it really makes you look really bad. How did you feel about the way that Jack handled that by basically putting Kevin in timeout and like he just kind of had the camping trip with Randall? That was one approach. I mean, he found out midway what was going on back home, but he didn't change his his approach at all. He, like you said, kind of starved him out, you know? He never apologized or came around to anything. We did get one of Jack's Father of the Year speeches about why the kids aren't treated all exactly the same as each other and hopefully trying to get Kevin to rationalize. Like, I heard this great concept the other day at work, believe it or not. And it was that fairness and equality are not the same thing. And so welcome to motherhood. So you can see where Jack is trying to be fair, but that doesn't mean that things are equal between them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's trying to give everybody what they need. And Ke- and Randall needs certain things and Kevin needs certain things. And he's just asking to Kevin to stop being a dick to him. It is it is a, it is a pretty I mean, it just all boils down to is even though he's obnoxious, you are still being a dick to him. You know, he's trying, he's he's just doing the one thing that he knows how to do. And you are choosing to be a dick to him. But at the same time, I feel like that Randall's notebook is actually contradicts what you're saying. Randall knows he's, he's being a dick to Kevin. And so he is sitting there trying to figure out like, what are the things that I do that come off like being a dick to Kevin? Well, I... I shouldn't be grabbing his Game Boy or I shouldn't be asking to use it or whatever because that's something that's like his personal whoopee kind of thing that he really likes. Yeah. Okay. Or I appreciated that he like had written down like, you know, if if Kevin's annoyed with me, start talking about Karate Kid and then he'll be into that. So there is some self-awareness on Randall's part that he was doing things inadvertently. We can say that he wasn't sitting there trying to think, how can I how can I annoy Kevin? But he was aware that he was annoying Kevin with the things he was doing. 
And on the on the flip, I think that Kevin was equally aware that he was annoying Randall. And I think that some of the stuff that he was doing was coming as naturally and as knee jerk as the things Randall's was doing. So like playing a little practical joke and like making the the tent fall was as natural to him and his personality and his silliness as it was for Randall to be making a list. And so I feel like that's this is what I'm saying about the fairness and the equal. You're right. Like their behavior was not equal in what they were doing. But to be fair, they were accurate to their personalities and like what they were bringing to the table. And no one was really appreciating anything that Kevin ever does, ever. And that is really pointed out a lot in this episode because Beth even says, oh, you know, I love me a Kevin event. He is like downplayed as like everything you do is stupid and lame and superficial and nobody's really into you in that way that you want them to be, you know? Yeah. And everyone looks up to Randall like he's like a god. Well, that is gonna butt heads. And I here's the thing. I am not a Kevin lover. Like, I don't have this like deep-seated like, oh, Kevin as a character, I really want to know him, whatever. But I could really see in this particular episode, there was this complexity to their interactions that was like, well, why doesn't anyone appreciate what Kevin brings to the table? Which is that silliness. It is that spontaneity that Randall sorely lacks. Still, I mean, I'm not buying it that that the book contradicts me all that much. It's, I mean, eight-year-olds are not well-renowned for introspection. You know what I mean? So he's not going to say, what am I doing that's causing this? He's going to say, how can I at least just avoid the problem, Try, kind of treating the symptom? You know what I mean? Sure. And that is at least an attempt to get along. Kevin is not making anything like that. Well, we don't really know because, I mean, they 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 try to ask. And I thought maybe we were going to get a little bit of information when Jack's like, why do you treat Randall this way? And he finally like yells out, like, I don't know. I think that it there was some moments there that was like, you know, why does he? Maybe he was laying there thinking about it. Maybe he wasn't. I don't know. You're sort of assuming that he doesn't care. But I don't know that that's true exactly. I mean, I think he seemed frustrated with him with everything about it you know when jack was really pressuring him to give an answer he seemed legitimately frustrated like i don't know why he didn't say i don't treat randall like a dick he said i don't know why i don't i can't i don't know i just don't know yeah i i can understand that (laughs) (laughs) i think there was another small 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 moment that again just pointed out their differences when Randall comes to Kevin and says, you know, you kept my girls up really late last night. And Kevin's like, yeah, but like we were joking around. We were having fun. It's sort of like you can look at that conversation and say, well, shame on Kevin. Those girls should have been in bed at eight o'clock because Randall has rules. Or you could have said like, loosen up, Randall. He was only there one night and he wanted to visit his nieces. And so they had some fun and they stayed up a little bit late. You know, like I think that you can look at that and say, well, you kind of need the yin and the yang, right? You kind of need that. And and there's a lot of like sort of love for the rules and a lot of love for the sincerity that Randall has. But I think that there is a part of Kevin, that spontaneity, that that just fun and silly that like you really need to balance to really have a more interesting story. I'll go along with that. <laughs> I know you don't want to because I know you hate Kevin so, so much. So obviously the biggest, biggest brother reveal in this episode was about Jack's memories. So what? So this whole time we've been having a whole lot about Kate, Kevin and Randall having their memories of 
when they were a kid, we haven't had a whole, whole lot about Jack's backstory. We've had a little bit, little glimpses here and there. We definitely knew that his dad was a jerk, very abusive. We saw the little, little clips. We knew that there was stuff with Vietnam War, little, little glimpse here and there. He's a little like Don Draper. If Don Draper was, you know, faithful and, <laughs> and Dude, a good person. Amen to that. I really, really felt like he was completely Don Draper in this episode. And I, and at first, to be real honest with you, I had a real like gnawing feeling in my belly where I had to like go back through the information and say, are we sure his name is Jack Pearson? Are we sure that this is where he came from? Because let's talk for a second. So the, the memory was of him taking a fishing trip with his dad. And rather than actually going fishing, they find a bar, they stop at a bar <laughs> and his dad basically leaves him in the car. Yeah. And you could tell that this is not the first time this has happened. No, he's an old hand at, at being forgotten because he's got kind of a script worked up of he's coming back, he's coming back. And this is only this kind of stuff that you would say to yourself if you had been wondering that stuff before. Yeah. And that you had to talk yourself down. Otherwise, you might get out of the car, you might start crying, you might start doing a hundred things if this is the first time it ever happened. Yeah. But you're right. Like there was definitely a sense that this happened a lot how surprised were you when that little guy in the back seat popped up? So surprised that I was wondering if he was an imaginary friend because, nice. <laughs> because he has not been mentioned, alluded to, specified or anything in any, any capacity so far. So the fact that he just like springs up, I thought maybe Jack might be comforting himself with an imaginary younger brother. But photographic evidence of imaginary younger brothers is usually hard to pull off. And Jack had it. Looks like he and his brother were in the same unit in um, it probably is Vietnam. Is that, is that correct? Is that yeah. And that's up? the part that I call uh-huh on. Now, I am one of the most ignorant military people you're going to ever meet. I don't know, is a lieutenant better than a captain? Is a captain better than a sergeant? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't want to know. I don't want to know. However, I know from books, movies, and TV that they don't put brothers in the same unit. That doesn't happen. And when, he, when Jack was in the photo, there was nothing identifying him as a Pearson. But on Nikki's coat, it said Pearson. Yeah. That's when I got that sinking, like, um... Are we sure? Do we know? I don't know. I, I don't think this is going to be a Dick Whitman situation. <laughs> I really don't because that was such a significant story. And if you guys haven't watched it, and I'm not going to try to go to... If you don't know what that meant, what I just said, then I won't say more. But it was such a significant show that I don't think that they would ever try to rip it like that. Yeah. But at the same time, like, doesn't that give you like some uneasiness of like, how, how could two brothers be in the same unit? You're right. They, the military, believe it or not, they don't want a mother to lose all their, all their kids. They want you to at least have one left after the war is done. So if they're in the same place at the same time, that can be a, that can be bad news. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So yeah, they don't, they, as far as I so know, then they don't. Can you make any can, can help me understand that photo then. What do you think? It's not impossible that units moving around could 
could converge and and need to do an operation together or just be in the same place at the same time. Okay. In I suppose an, that's possible, right? Yeah. So okay. that could so be maybe? an explanation. You instantly get these images. And since it's Jack, you know there's this lingering guilt that that may manifest from little brother following him into the army. And we don't know who this brother is. So he's not around anymore, probably. We think, right? I think it's fair to say that Nikki is probably not still alive. And I feel like, you know, it's potentially is one of those things. Obviously, he's he's about the compartmentalizing and he, you know, even just the fact that he physically goes and gets it out of like a compartment, <laughs> you know, which again was very Don Draper, right? That, yeah, that that's part of how I got that connection mentally. I have not watched enough of this show to know what to expect in terms of twists and turns and, and you know, puzzles to solve and that kind uh, of stuff. Twisty, turny, lots of puzzles to solve. Get your brain teaser hat on. For sure. For okay. sure. So, you know, it may be that Jack, maybe Jack comes from uh, a previous marriage with his mom. And he's not really that jackass's son. You know, maybe that's the case. Whoa, that would be freaky, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's probably not true because he did give him the money for the house. But, you know, he, he probably gave him that money because to, to prove to him that he had money and Jack didn't. You know what I mean? True. Very true. It does seem like that. One of the things that I, I'm not going to be able to point out to the exact article, but I am pretty positive that Nikki didn't exist at the beginning of when they were making this the series in terms of like that that he was somebody that they decided as they were moving on they could like open this story up even more he's not a what's the name of the cousin from cousin oliver he's not a cousin oliver is he or who is the other one from different strokes oh um sam 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 i don't think so i don't think so because he's not deja could have been that character honestly, where you brought in like a baby or somebody little, like a little toddler to start paying attention to. Um, so I don't think so. I think that it's, again, just another opportunity to illustrate these sibling connections in at even a different generation. I actually just read a book called A Spool of Blue Thread that actually kind of did this, where they sort of examined relationships within a family on different generational levels where you could compare. And it wasn't just like this whole time we've been doing just really like the parents and the kids and then their kids or their siblings or that type of thing. But, you know, to be able to go back again, back a generation and, and examine those siblings. I mean, I definitely think that there's a lot of like patterning and things that we see that's like crazy. And it kind of is like uncomfortable at times when it makes you like look at yourself and be like, oh my God. Do you think we'll ever what see- What patterns am I repeating? Do you think we'll ever see young Jack's dad and who, what kind of animal his grandfather was? I, I mean, I think that it's really possible. I And I think it wouldn't be crazy depending on how long that they decide the series is going to go, which I've heard five seasons is the goal. But So you got to have, you got to add characters. That's I, how I TV works. You do. Yeah. And especially because I don't get the feeling that like by them not having Randall and Beth have a little one. Now, I mean, obviously there's going to be a little one in theory coming up here. Since that family seems like they're not going to have more. I mean, obviously you still have some young situations here. Like who knows what Kevin's going to end up doing. He could be a father soon. And then we're going to examine that. He may already be. I mean, he's almost 40 and he's been unaccounted for romantically for like the last, I don't know how many, however many years. Oh, geez. Do you think that that, I mean, that could happen? Do you think they're going to pop up with a baby for him where he's like, now I got to be a dad? Give Whoa. it 
season three. Whoa. Okay, Daily, I'll give you that. I like it. I, I, I would like to see how that plays out, but certainly, yeah, I think that that could happen. He, I mean, I've seen enough of season one to see that he hooks up romantically often. Yeah, <laughs> and that's energetically. True. Energetically, you're a scene. Very, very, very true. Well, something else happens at that camping trip that you you touched on for a second where Jack was getting the phone call. So we had Rebecca and Kate were back at the home and they were going to go have this like girls day. And Rebecca gets this phone call from Jack's father's nursing home saying that he is passing away. Now They've never met, right? Well, that is what is what is revealed because, you know, she says I am Jack's wife. So I would definitely think never met in any way and and jack has kept his family completely hidden from his dad is that right yes that's so, what it appears because when he went to go ask for the money for the house he says that he owed somebody money right he it, said it's from gambling right yeah that he was just out of money and so for that for that sake like yeah i mean we don't know because we assume nikki has passed away and i don't we don't know what happened to jack's mom that's a whole story to tell you know we're stuck with sort of this idea of like well who would ever know where Jack went or who he had? You know, the father wouldn't follow up on him. And social media isn't what it is today. So it's not so easy to just find people. Wasn't a thing. Wasn't a thing. Right. So what did you think about Rebecca calling up to the campground and Jack deciding not to go see his dad? A, calling up to the campground is, of course, the only thing that she could do initially and the perfect thing to do. Jack saying no. I got to imagine that. I mean, in our relationship, if for some reason I said something like that, you'd say, no effing way. <laughs> but in their relationship, he has laid a lot of groundwork that his well, dad means nothing to him anymore. He hates his guts. He, he's glad that he's dead. He hopes he ho he would hope that he would died sooner, you know. So maybe you got all that. And it's it's like. No, really. I mean, for as good a guy as Jack is, he's also firm in his emotions. No, you know? okay. To be, I think you have to be a little fairer to your wife. And why would I be like, I think you should think twice about this? Oh, because death is final. You only get one shot at these final moments. So and if I you miss like, it, you miss it. Yeah, it's over. And it would be like coming from a place of like protectiveness of you, of being like, I would never want you to have regret. Or, um, you know, feel feel like you would have played it out differently. And so then that would be my only thing. I would not, obviously, I wouldn't force you. And I don't think that they have that type of relationship. But I would, I would definitely ask you like over and over, like, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And like, what do you want me to do then? I think I would continue to ask for direction. Now, one of the things that I read in an interview with the producers was that there could potentially have been additional conversation that we didn't see between Rebecca and the dad. So we saw some conversation, but there was sort of like this, like, you know, little like wink, like maybe there was more. So maybe Rebecca finds out about Nikki. Maybe there's an additional flashback from her point of view, um, because, you know, there was a part when he's like, you know, is that my granddaughter? And, you know, she kind of shoes Kate out of there. You know, we only got little slivers of that side of what was going on. So we don't really know. Maybe Jack's dad says more, especially when Rebecca says things like, you know, your son, like was is a wonderful father and you know lived well beyond like what you ever did with your kids that's a really good point i mean structurally this show has revealed that that certain flashbacks 
were actually longer than they were first exposed to us. Very much so. And that's a very interesting tool that they can use. And they've used it just in kind of lightweight ways so far. But it's a way to introduce the tool to be like, we're going to do this now. We're going to show you stuff you've already seen. You're going to say, oh, I've already seen this. And we're going to show you a little bit more to be like, actually, this scene has an entirely different context. And and we just showed you what you needed at that at that time. And I think a lot of times it depends on who's doing the, the remembering. So a lot of times it's, you know, you and I have talked about recently how you'd like to go back to one of your childhood homes and see it as an adult. Because you'd really like to get the proportions of like the space and the and the property and everything from an adult point of view. Yeah. So I think a lot of the flashbacks, it depends on if it's Kate or Randall or if it's Jack or Rebecca or whomever, whoever that person was at the time looking back. It's like, oh, I didn't know everything that was going on. And now that I'm you know older or I'm coming at it from another perspective, I'm really seeing that memory in a much, much different way. And I appreciate that they that they keep it interesting from a storyteller point of view. Um, I, I think that that's family too, is that that really is the crux of family. There's a lot of people who I think walk around within their family thinking they know their family story or they know what happened that Thanksgiving. But if you had the magic of TV who could show you the point of view of all the other people who are also at that Thanksgiving or what everyone else was going through at the time, you might say like, I didn't know crap about what was going on. I thought I knew and I just, I didn't know. That happens to me all the time. (laughs) A lot of times your wife is the one who is the magic of TV who like points it out and says like, what do you think was going on from their point of view? Did you even look at that? And then you're like, oh, Yes, that might have been different, right? So Rebecca takes a couple of notches up for me this week. Oh, okay. Tell me why. Well, because she did this. She wouldn't let this dying man die alone, even though she knew enough about his history to hate his guts, right? And the, the part that gets like one notch. The next notch is that although she stuck up for Jack as a father in front of him, not, not that he was tearing him down, but just like, she felt like she needed to say something. She didn't really take the opportunity to turn the screws. You know what I mean? She didn't say like, he was a great, he's a great husband. He's a great husband and great father in spite of all the bad shit you did. She just kind of says he's a great father, you know, and, and leaves the rest for him to decipher on his own, all the subtext. You know what I mean? I don't have the exact quote, but you get the idea. Man, that's just like class, you know, just uh, I need to start maybe giving Rebecca a little more credit than I have been. I think that that also, I mean, obviously the man was dying. I don't know how far you get, you know, when someone's literally like gasping for breath. I don't know if you start saying and you were a bad person, (laughs) you know, I'm not sure. So, So you're right. I mean, I guess I guess I guess that's credit, you know. To be given. There are some people that would not care. You're right. You're totally right. I, I guess you and I are not those people. It's we important that you know this before you die. Hold on a second. Keep breathing so I can keep going with my, my <laughs> spleen here. <laughs> You're funny. So I look forward to seeing if we get the those flashbacks to the nursing home from Rebecca's point of view or maybe Kate's point of view even and see if more was revealed in that conversation. I kind of think it has to be because... I can honestly say we've 100% got zero from Jack's dad's point of view. Now, he's never going to become a sympathetic character for me because we all love Jack and he was such a jerk to Jack. 
But at the same time, could you get that, oh, that's what was going on with that man? Maybe, you know, you might even, we might even get a flashback to being inside the bar on the fishing trip and hearing something that he says to the bartender or something, you know, where it's like, oh, you know, you could really just keep expanding it out. Now, I don't know as, as fans that we care to know what Jack's dad's reasons were, but. At a certain point, even even deep stories need to have a few two-dimensional characters, you know, just like but he's the, a drunk asshole. Bang. But that's does, it. <laughs> but does the best father in the world's father get no information or are we never going to like truly know What's up? I don't know. And the, the mom plays in a lot. And I think that Nikki's going to play in a lot in terms of like, you know, did he become this good dad because he had to be a dad to his little brother? Or did he become this great dad because he wasn't able to be that dad to his little brother and he kind of saw what happened with him or something? I don't know. It could become from regret or it could come from a place of like, well, he was kind of trained up to be a good parent. Speaking of trained up. What do you think of Toby's likelihood of becoming a good parent? You know, the Toby-Kate storyline this episode, it was kind of hard for me because I felt like I felt like there's more to Kate's concerns than we're being let in on. And so I feel like that, you know, the, my gut instinct is to be like, God, Kate, you're like really being horrible. I don't know how you can say the words we're pregnant and then dictate everything that Toby's supposed to feel, do, act, say. About it. Yeah. And Toby was just like, okay, just like, uh, I'll just well, follow your lead. So I don't know that that's really, I don't know. You don't, I, I mean, I think that Toby says those things, but I think he's a pusher behind the scenes. So no, I think he would have like nudged her and nudged her and nudged her after that, you know? So I don't, I don't think it would have totally gone away. I don't think you would have accepted that fully. We've seen it in all the other ways that, you know, she said something and he's like, okay. And then he like is like, you know, with the Steelers game, I watch it alone. Okay. Then he sends her an invitation to a surprise Steelers party. Like, I mean, he would continue to, to, to devil her about it. It wouldn't go away. But at the same time, I feel like, um, I think it was incredibly unfair. And it, and, and again, I don't know about the realism of Toby not saying you have got to tell me more. Like you can't say that I can't be excited about us having a child and just be like, because bad things seem to happen to me. Like, you're going to need to reveal more bad things. Yeah. You know, like, I just don't think that that would fly in a relationship that, you know, you're engaged, you're going to have a baby and and to have maintained this level of you're just going to have to take my word for it. It's only fair. I mean, because I mean, I'm thinking of it like she if she comes into this with some knowledge about having lost babies or how to lose babies or totally that sort of different. thing, then you got to wonder about that from like a safety perspective, right? I mean, like, how can I best be your partner if I don't know everything that that's gone on with you related to this, this high, what's the right, what's the word in, in pregnancy? High like risk, high risk situation. She's yeah, it's be, it's it's unfair. Definitely. I think Keep it him is. In the dark like that. And I mean, you know, so then her taking it out on Madison in the group session and being like, you don't have problems, you know, other people have problems. And then they have that little fender bender. And it seems like, you know, she has this like overwhelming wash of emotions, you know, thinking like, did I just hurt the baby? Did you know what just happened, basically? And did I uh, this is the part that I that I really wonder about. 
she let her emotions get the best of her. And in that, she wasn't as safe as she could have been in getting out of the parking lot, right? Like she's the one that- She drove distracted. She drove, okay. That little nug of then thinking she killed someone feels real. Feels like, oh, is there going to be some other part, I'm assuming to do with Jack, that she let her emotions rule. She didn't, she wasn't as careful as she should have been. She wasn't, uh, she, she did something a little bit rash and did that do something to lead to Jack's death? Because that's how that felt like that little tiny accident felt. Mm. She yelled at the woman. She yelled at the woman. She let her emotions get the best of her. And then she realized what had happened. You know, I could have just gotten into a major accident and killed this baby. You know, she almost has like that breakdown. Yeah, I totally did not catch it that way. But I could see that you're right. I mean, she, I I was just going on with, with our continuing theory that she's lost a baby before, you know, so that's why she was reacting like that. But, but she was almost hyperventilating. She was very, very upset over just a nudge, you know, in the parking lot. But I think that, that, you know, where we say the part where she's lost a baby before, before, I think that we're, we were right there, but it was like, I think she's just lost before. You know, she's, she's, she's lost someone before. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the part that's like the important nugget to carry forward is like, and I think that's why she said, you know, I don't, I think you got to have those moments where you like taking Toby to the coffee shop and saying like, okay, we'll never come back here again and blah, blah, blah. And you can like say whatever. What did you think about that whole scene with Toby doing his entire dance? That looks like a guy who never thought he was ever going to have a kid being told that he's going to have a kid. Because he's probably about her same age, so 40-ish, you know, and, you know, he's uh, had the one ex-wife and that didn't work out. And so, yeah, I could see where I could see where a Toby-ish guy would would go kind of just wild like that. It was very amusing, like like when he swung around on the pole and, and did the, the water on him, like flash dance. That was totally impromptu, the water thing. Oh, was it? Mm-hmm. Well, it was really funny. And they said they'd had like, you know, enough for a whole episode of him dancing around the coffee shop because he apparently did like this whole coffee can maracas thing. And like there was a lot of other parts to it. It was funny. And for Toby, I mean, he's the guy that wears like the crazy (laughs) blazers whenever they go (laughs) out and all that. So a controlled emotional outburst like this. I, it fits. It fits. I, I liked it very much. And I thought it was like something that this episode kind of needed because, you know, we were dealing with the heaviness of, of Deja. We were dealing with the heaviness of Kevin with his painkillers. We were even dealing with like within Kate's story, you know, her kind of like, I don't even know what to say, like macabre feeling around this pregnancy. You know, like there's just so much. She's got a ziggy cloud about it. Really ziggy cloud about it. And so I, you know, and then we have, you know, Jack's father and all this. It's like there was so much heaviness that like we needed this moment of a, silly. A dance number. We did. We kind of <laughs> needed this lightness and that, that kind of reminder of like, again, like there's a place within a family for the silly guy. There is a place for for that part, you know, to be played. That's the yin and the yang. I think that's why, you know, when Kevin and him are sort of at odds, it's because they both kind of play the same role for Kate. They're both sort of the spontaneous much more lighthearted, much more, you know, 
let's just like let go. Let's not be stuck under a rock somewhere. Um, and Kate gets that from both of those guys, which is sad because I didn't really, even though I felt like she had a lot of um, of baggage that she dealt with, I didn't really look at her character as like a sad character. Like, I kind of thought she was like Kevin's cheerleader, like how she was like the personal assistant and, you know, and she was sort of, you know, resourceful and supportive. And she kind of played that sort of like mother hen role a little bit with him that it's weird to me how she's kind of morphed into this character that like she really seems like just Debbie Downer all the time that I don't really feel like I she always was. Hmm. I haven't seen enough to have the history yet, so I can't can't make a good argument i just what i've seen is all the debbie downer stuff yeah but she just wasn't always like that i mean yes her weight was definitely a end is a battle but she was she was going to overeaters anonymous she found the camp to go to she was talking to the doctors like she always sort of was like still like energetic and like you know kind of trying to find her way she was struggling but finding her way now this is like so much more like a defeated person which is kind of weird because she's engaged and she's going to have a baby. Like these are a lot of things you would think that you would be like hoping and wanting, which I think makes them that much more dangerous for her. That's a really good point. Cause Madison points out that from Kate's perspective, Madison has zero problems because she's very focused on weight. Right. Mm -hmm. From Madison's perspective, Kate has fewer problems than she thinks she does because she does have a, a fiance, she is expecting a child and things seem to be going okay for Kate, you yeah. know? And she well, points this out to her in this way that's like, you know, why uh, why how, are you so sad <laughs> all the time? Right. Well, and even in season one, like um, you know, we saw her go on on a couple of job interviews and she gets them. Like she goes into Toby's ex-wife's shop, she gets the job. You know, she she goes to uh, you know, be a personal assistant for another woman, she gets the job. Like she's not somebody who's like everything's always going bad for, you know, but yet that's how she describes herself. Mm. So I feel like she's really, she's changing as a character and I'm, and it's interesting that it seems to be happening as what we would all consider milestones. That would be good. Getting, finding a nice guy, getting engaged, getting pregnant, all these things. And it's like, these should all be a happy, excited, hopeful moments in your life. And that seems, it seems like it's, she's like going down, you know? Which, if you look at the triplets as a whole, I mean, Randall's really struggling. Kevin's certainly struggling. Kate's certainly struggling with, like, all different things going on with them. They were all – I feel like when you say, like, Kevin could have a breakdown, we could see all three of them have a breakdown. And Randall, you know, has had two other breakdowns. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like they're sort of – good Lord, you know, they could all fall apart here. Such a yeah. different feel from season one. Honestly, season one felt so much more like, oh, let's get all the old, you know, old videos of family movies and memories. And this feels so much more like, let's get out this shoebox where we keep the pictures of the people we don't speak about, you know? <laughs> I have seen where people have called this season bleak so far. And to those people, I will just say... I come from the leftovers, man. You, <laughs> you don't, don't even you don't even know you don't bleak. even know bleak. <laughs> you really don't know bleak if you haven't watched leftovers. And I love the leftovers. I I felt like this episode as a whole really had a lot of good notes. I like the highs and the lows. I like the I like the really you know um, 
the sad moments and the and the confusing moments of like Kate like I don't think you get to dictate what Toby feels about everything and you know the the disappointing moments like oh Kevin you're gonna blow off Sophie again you know like you guys just rekindled this relationship and you're not gonna be there for her at this charity auction you embarrassed her you did all this stuff you know for Randall I felt like it's always like one step forward two steps back with Deja which I gotta say like I am not in love with this storyline I. I think the actress is great. Um, I had like a little, a little bone to pick. They made her hair the major topic of conversation for like a lot of these last two episodes, right? Yeah. And then I, I, they just kind of trimmed it up, and and it looks great as it is. But like, it kind of felt like like it all just worked out in the end, <laughs> right? Like, like because I mean, we saw when Beth was doing her hair, she had big bald patches. If you cut down your hair to like a centimeter long, those bald patches would be visible. Her hair wouldn't look like that. Well, did you notice how when the end of last week's episode, Kate says, or the doctor tells her you're six weeks along, right? In the beginning of this episode, she tells Toby, I'm eight weeks pregnant. Yes. So that means two weeks have passed. And so, I mean, I, I and maybe her hair grows extremely quickly. So maybe she got a little or maybe fuzz been, on those bald patches. Maybe there's been some progress at Randall's house. I mean, I don't, it's been slow going because we know that if, given those two weeks and last week, they had said something like she'd been there a month. So now she's been there six weeks and she's still very skittish, very. you know? And so. Randall, you know, didn't, it seemed like there had been some information in the, in the uh, case file thing that they got that, you know, she had suffered abuse at some of the foster right, homes and sure. stuff. Like there would have been something a little bit more there. No, I mean, please, what he did to jump once when, when she, you know, was going to eat the shell of the, the shrimp. I mean, that does not borderline on any kind of abusive, hostile kind of situation. The other thing with the cigarettes where everybody, all the, you know, all the tempers were flared and everybody was already like upset. Then that, you know, I could see where she jumped. But like in this case, it was like, whoa. I mean, that was even like a very calm situation. And yes, he spoke like abruptly. And yes, he he physically gestured towards her. But like her response was still pretty big, you know. Which only implies something really big has happened to her. Like the framework. And we can kind of think of what probably occurred. And she said like the second home was the worst, implying the other homes weren't good. You know, bad things were probably happening in other homes, too. And obviously her own original home was bad yeah no for sure i think that that that's that's really the the crux of it was was you know she's got a long history of complicated abuse for sure what are you hoping to see in the next episode i am also leery already of the deja very familiar beaten foster kid storyline i would like to see that make an actual step forward where you know, she initiates something with Beth or Randall in a way that's like, you know, positive, you know, like asks them for help or, or, or something. I would like to see that rather than continue to see them just only stumble. I would like to see them move forward a little bit, you know? And I would really like there to be some sort of um, different, unique twist, something, something unique about this, something that you look at it and you're like, you know, wow, I never considered that or this, you know, I, because there's, there's gotta be more to being able to tell a story of a foster child coming into a home like this than we've seen. You know, I feel like we've seen, I don't know, in the past, they've been pretty stories that are, like you said, they're pretty one note. I mean, you kind of know, and, and it always goes one way on TV, only one way. 
they shape up and everything goes great. <laughs> like we've really rarely seen where they're like, and we gave her back and she totally, you know, freaked out and it went terrible. Like that's not going to happen. I don't believe. So it's like, okay, well, what, you know, what else could this look like? Where, where, where else could they go? So I'm, I am looking forward, but I would, I rather spend more time. And this is kind of an interesting thing about Randall. We spent so much of season one on William and now we're spending a quite a bit of season two on Deja. One big like eyebrow raise is why don't we spend more time with Annie and Tess, his actual children? <laughs> like we so rarely see him just trying to raise his own girls who must have problems and and complicating lives themselves. Why do we always bring in this outside character for him? Here's a theory. Maybe the girls are just easy for him. Like he's got them figured out. Oh, Paul, come on. They're little he's still. Got, That's the easy that part. that little. Tess is not that little. I mean, she's probably like 11 or something. They're, they've they've got stuff going on in their little heads. You know, why are we not dealing with the, the fallout of William's death or something with them? You know, they lost their grandfather. I mean, he's lost his dad. Like there could be like more there, you know? And I like Tess and Annie. I like them as actresses. I like it. It's it's weird. Usually, like we said, like they bring in the cousin Oliver or the Sam or whatever when the other kids are so grown that there's like very little stories left to tell about them growing up. But that isn't the case. Like Annie and Tess are very actively growing girls. Maybe they didn't want to jack up <laughs> Annie and Tess by, you know, giving them a drug problem or something. So they had to bring in someone new. Could be other problems. But I, I'm just saying, like, I mean, because this is us, right? What would be the percentage of families who have a long lost father? Very slim. What yeah. are the percentage of families who foster a child? Very small. What are the percentage of families who are raising two children? A lot. <laughs> and if this is us, why don't you show us us? He's the only one to kind of show that picture. Hmm, okay. I would like to see Randall and Beth parenting more, their own kids. I would love to see how they deal with stuff. More. I would just assume that the lack of that just means that that is not worth showing. Like they're just doing that just fine. Well, okay. So then in, in future episodes, that's what I'd like. I would like to see a lot more going on with Tess and Annie. And it doesn't have to be negative. It could just be, you know, just stuff. You know, there's plenty of other TV shows that do show different things. But I feel like there's 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 stories to be told about the four of them, too, that I feel like we really haven't seen that much of. Kevin, boy, I don't know what to say about this painkiller business. He had a chance to tell Sophie why he he bailed on her and he instead made up some bullshit. This is taking very familiar turns again, I'm afraid, where we have a guy trying to, and it's very natural too, a guy trying to hide his problems, hoping that he can get them fixed before they get bad enough that he has to come clean with anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm sure in his mind, he's thinking, I need to just take these painkillers for right now, get me over the hump, and my knee will eventually start feeling better just magically on its own. But the way he's doing it, we've seen people do this before, right? Where where the, someone says, here's your get out of jail free card. Tell me what's going on with you. And he doesn't. Yeah. So then later, that means the relationship will fall apart or. Which is just like, ugh, because this is his second chance with Sophie. And we spent a long time in season one having Toby like talk him up and go out there and talk to Sophie. And he, he did this whole thing and finally convinced her to give a second chance. And it's like, what? 
Oh my god. Yeah, if you can't what? if you can't tell her this right now, um she deserves at this stage in their relationship and in their life, she deserves a lot more credit than that. I think so. And so, I feel like, you know, I I I know this is all about patterns. I mean, if you had to use one word to describe this as us, I would say patterns. That's it. Patterns of behavior. So, you know, he described very clearly last time that the knee screwed up his professional football career. But also, I think ultimately, like, changed who he was and, you know, made him into more of this sort of um, even more into sort of what you consider that sort of superficial, you know. Sure. Everybody needs to love me actor kind of business. And. I feel like, you know, he's just like redoing it again. You know, it's like, oh, now I hurt my knee acting. Well, now I'm going to bust this relationship. It's like, uh. What I would what I would want to see in future episodes with Kevin is that it doesn't turn into like this season long lying, 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 lying. Okay, finally, I'm taking painkillers or or you catch me with a bottle of them or some bullshit. I would hope that he would come clean and say like, this is too big for me. I'm sorry. I need help and do that sooner than later. I just don't think that's going to happen. Right. Uh, you know, the, Kate is, I think, going to be instrumental in that part of revealing the the painkillers portion. I think there's got to be something there. You know, one of the episodes um, when he is like on the airplane and she kind of like gasps, like, <gasps> like she like, gasps awake and she's like, oh, he's fine because they intimate that to the audience that they have this kind of twin connection where they can feel each other's vibes and they right. know what the other one's going yeah. through. And so I'm kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop of like, when is Kate going to feel something or when is she going to notice something? Now, maybe being pregnant, they kind of put like a wall up there, you know, where maybe her body and her, her emotions and stuff are different now than they were. Well, and she's, she is closing off from other people until this gets to a point when she's willing to share it with other people. You're right. So you, she's probably avoiding conversations with Kevin because obviously she, if she doesn't want to tell anybody, then right. that's what everyone does, right? If you don't want to, if you have a secret, you don't want to tell, you just avoid talking right. to everybody. That's very true. Very that's true. how that works? That's how that works. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I enjoyed this episode. I thought it had a lot of amazing ups and downs and I'm really looking forward to next week. Thanks a lot. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.